Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Good morning, everyone. Well, this morning we're going to open up to Nehemiah 9, 22. And really today we're going to continue um, in this whole prayer thing. That You know, the, the, these guys, they, they, were, they went through a time of prayer after they read the Bible, which led to confession, and it led to repentance and, and, and worship. So in verse 22, they're remembering God's faithfulness, even when their forefathers were not faithful. It's very interesting. Verse 22, it says, you gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting them to even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sahon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into a land that you told their fathers to enter and possess. Their sons went in and took the possession of that land. You subdued them before the Canaanites who lived in the land. You handed the Canaanites over to them, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of the houses, filled with all kinds of good things. Wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in their great goodness." But they were disobedient and rebelled against you and put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who admonished them in order to turn uh, turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you handed them over to the enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of of their enemies. What are they do, what they're doing here is understanding God. They're telling God, they're saying, "Hey God, we get it. We understand what you're telling us. We saw how our forefathers treated you. They were disobedient, they were stubborn, they were rebellious, they were adulterous, they were ungrateful, they were stiff-necked, and we want to know you." Or we want you to know that we saw them do this, therefore we're not going to do that. You know, it's a very interesting commitment that we make, and and really a very healthy one. That once they read and once we read the Bible, they're committed themselves to God. Saying, our relatives were very offensive to you, God, even when you were faithful. And today we are committing to not act like that. It's an interesting you know, prayer to tell God to say, 
I get it. So as we look around in our lives, we have to think about what we have seen and then say, you know what, Lord? This is not how I want to do it. The Lord has put many negative examples in the Bible. You know, we we read them from Genesis all the way through Revelations. We see all these negative examples. So I think it's okay to think, what negative examples have I seen in my life that can teach me through, uh, you know, that can teach me through their mistakes? Because you can look at someone's life, and if you're around them long enough, you can see the decisions they make and the consequences of those decisions in their life. You can see this in countries, in corporations, in companies, and in families. Really big mistakes, and they lost their moral compass, and they're suffering for that now. What about you? Have you had the opportunity in your lifetime to see someone not following God's path? Maybe you're thinking of them right now. Now, I wouldn't lean over and tell your neighbor (laughs) who that is because that would be gossip. But maybe it's an individual or a corporation or a group that have made big mistakes and are now paying for it. Or they made little mistakes all the way along and you see the result of it. So why would I bring this up? So we can feel better about ourselves? So we can compare ourselves and look at someone else and say, wow, they've really screwed up. I'm not so bad after all. No, uh-uh. Let me get to the heart of the matter. Since you've been able to witness someone else's error, since you've been able to observe the other group's rebellion and even possibly seeing the consequences of that rebellion, or you know it's coming, I have a personal question for you. Are you in any way Even though you know better, are you in any way imitating that person or group right now with your attitude, with your words, with your deeds? Told you it was a personal question. Even though you had the luxury of reading in the Bible about David, are you imitating something negative that David did? Even though you've seen in the Bible what, what Eve did, are you somehow imitating Eve or, or Paul or Simon and their mistakes or, or Moses when he failed? Or the children of Israel? Or in a modern sense, you have seen the consequences of sin in someone's life from the choices they are making, a chosen behavior. I mean, you, you've all talked about it, Right? I can't believe they're doing such and such. Can you believe this? And yet, are you in the secret place imitating them? Now, we would all say, well, that would be totally foolish, especially if we're observing someone really just royally messing it up for us to do the same thing. That would be foolish. But is it possible that even though you have watched the movie of someone else's life, that you could walk right out of the theater and do the exact same thing. Is that possible? Or is it probable? I think one of the most important things in our life is to know our weaknesses. I mean, we talk about our strengths, don't we? We get together and we talk about the fun things. We talk about all the great things we do. We don't really talk about our failures. 
You know, I can look at someone's failures and say that most likely that won't be mine because that is not my weakness. Then I look at a different failure and say, okay, okay, that failure right there, okay, that one i got to watch out for because that's the kind of weakness that I have in my life also. You see what I'm saying? We, we see somebody's life and we go, okay, are they making a good decision? Should I imitate them or not? Because, man, wouldn't it be great if I could learn from those mistakes that others make so I don't make them myself? You know, a good coach will not yell at his players all the time when they make mistakes. A good coach will, will gather the team and say, okay, remember what happened in the second in, inning? Do you remember that, that, that play? And, and, man, they got three scores ran on us. And he'll just say to the team, well, well, what happened? And he'll let them talk it through, and they'll discuss it. And then they'll work on it. A good coach will not build his team through great accomplishments. He will build the team by working on their mistakes After a win, you celebrate the win, but then you come back and say, okay, what mistakes did we make in this game? He will even discuss the, the, you know, the other team's mistakes. Okay, hey, you remember when we scored all those points in that inning? Okay, what did they do wrong? And they'll talk through that. The most important thing that we can do is to learn something after a mistake or after somebody else's mistake. I prefer those. I don't like to learn after my own mistakes. I like to prefer, you know. Now, what is interesting is that after a mistake, we either like to sweep it, sweep it under the rug, kind of hide it away in a corner. Oh, you, you didn't see that. Oh, but everything's all nice and dandy over here. So we either ignore that or we like to blame. Well, whose fault is this? Certainly it's not my fault. Let me find someone to blame. The American goal, for some reason, is, has become not what happened, but whose fault it is. I mean, just look at, you know, uh, in the news right now, Benghazi and all that stuff that happened over there. It's not what happened, let's find out how can we prevent it. It's all about who's to blame. We love the blame. Not what happened. It's who can I sue? You know, my little, uh, my little brother, when we were kids... My mom had called down, and, and they had a city basketball league, and, and she wanted him to, you know, it was his first time he was going to play, and she called down there, and she called down a little too late. It was all full up. And they said, well, we can put him on the waiting list. My mom was like, okay, well, I'm too bad, but okay. Well, then my, my little brother went down to the park and, and was playing around at the park, and they had these little, I don't know what to call them, little poles made out of wood that, that all the kids, we would all run up and down them. They were different heights, and we'd all play on them. Well, he slipped. And he fell, and he split the, you know, his leg split. Well, one of them caught his leg and jammed his leg and messed it all up. I mean, blood everywhere. I mean, not to get all gory. I mean, ambulance, going to the hospital, all that kind of stuff. Well, the next day, they're calling, hey, as soon as your son gets well, we found a place for him on the basketball team. They're worried about being sued. They were like, okay, let's do everything we can to make this family happy. Now, luckily, my parents weren't the suing type. But, you know, it's one of those things, we try to place blame, and we even say, well, I'm only partially to blame. And then we go, okay, well, who else is to blame? My, my question is, okay, if you're partially to blame, then what did you partially learn? You know, some of our mistakes are even made by our teammates, and therefore we still lose the game. Do you get the point here? 
Other times we're in the bleachers and we're watching the team make the mistakes. The reality is, if we can learn from these mistakes, we've got it made. You're thinking, okay, Alan, we get it. Now move on. And I say like a coach, no, 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 no. Come down and take a knee. Let's talk about this. Because we love to talk about our accomplishments. And it's, you know, it's a fun competition to, you know, that gets us nowhere. We'd be better off sitting around the table talking about our failures. You know, if you ever did this, people at dinner would be like going, oh, great, here he goes again. What did you do this time? You know, I'm saying not do that every time you get together or gather, you know, and, and, and get around people because then you wouldn't have any friends. People wouldn't want to hang around you. But it, we, it would be good for us to, to discuss these things in life. Now, I'm not saying reveal your flaws to everyone. As a matter of fact, you kind of need to be careful who you reveal your flaws to, right? You've probably experienced it just like I have. You've opened up to, to people you thought were your friends, and, and the first time you really disagree with them, boom, they're no longer your friends. And then they sit back and pick, all, you know, pick out every little flaw you ever have. So you have to be careful who you share this stuff with. But I think it's good to learn how to share, especially our mistakes, because we can learn from them. What these guys were saying in 444 B.C., was that our forefathers were turkeys. They were absolute jerks to you, God, and how they treated you. Therefore, we might be the same as they were with you, God. And we don't want that. In verse 26, it says, But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put your law behind their backs. In other words, they ignored it. They killed your prophets who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed committed awful blasphemies. And we're talking about all the way to child sacrifices. So think about that, how bad that is, and everything in between they committed against God. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. But when they oppressed, they cried out to you, and you said to them, sorry, too late. No. No. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of the enemies. God, you are an amazing God, and we want you to know that we're getting it. That's what they're saying. Verse 28, it says, But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them for the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them to return to your law. But they became arrogant and disobedient. And I lost my place. There we go. Arrogant. And disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances by which a man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you admonished them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention, so you handed them over to the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are gracious and merciful God. Now, what a weird cycle this is, isn't it? God blesses them. After a while, they take it for granted, and they enter into sin. 
God warns them to knock it off, but they ignore the warning, then God disciplines them and their children, sometimes for generations, so they repent. After they repent and confess, God accepts them and He blesses them. Isn't that a weird cycle, how that works? Very dysfunctional, you know, this human behavior. You would think at some point, someone would get off the Ferris wheel and say, I'd like to stay at the blessing part. Wouldn't you like to say, we all want to be blessed. Wouldn't you love to stay at the blessing part? Well, then don't repeat the cycle. I mean, you know, as I read the Bible through Genesis to Revelation, I see this cycle over and over. If you want to see this very clearly, read the Old Testament books of Joshua and Judges. It's like a 40-year cycle that keeps happening over and over. Through two generations, they go through this. They come to God. He blesses them with peace and prosperity. They start sinning, and they start killing the prophets. Then idolatry. And then they're like, oops. Then God sends another prophet to warn them, and they kill that prophet. God finally says, okay, you're killing off my prophets. I'm running out of prophets here. We're going to have to go with a nonprofit organization for a while. Had to throw that in there. So we look at this and we say, those nutty Jews, those wacky Israelites, those hard-headed Old Testament people, we're not like them, are we? What do you think the cycle of human, you know, what, what place in that cycle is human behavior in today? Think about our country. Think about California, America, or how about Washington, D.C., or the rest of the world, or Hollywood. The cycle points out the predictability of man over the centuries, but it also points out the predictability of God, and that's the key here. Genesis to Revelation, God is the same God. When Israel obeyed God, He was faithful and he blessed them. When Israel disobeyed God, he was faithful to discipline them. When they asked for mercy, he always gave them a second chance. See, that's true in our life as well. The Bible consistently teaches that God is faithful. When we obey, we get blessing. When we disobey, we get discipline. When we ask for mercy, he gives it to us. And he gives us another chance, and another chance, and another chance, and another chance. He's always given us chances. So how do we get God's blessing? By praying to him, talking with him, building that relationship, and obeying him. See, obeying God in our life is the call that we should have. We love being in control of things. Who likes to be in control? I'm the only one. Okay, we all love to be in control of things, right? Therefore, control your passions. Control your passions about money. Control your passions about about the opposite sex. Control your inner desires. How about control your own lust or your evil tendencies? You love to be in control. Let's control them. You say, well, I can't do that. And my answer is, of course you can't. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit to help us control those things. That's why Jesus came. And he gives us that Holy Spirit that gives us the power to resist temptation. And the Bible also says that he won't give us temptation that we can't resist. 
Isn't that the amazing thing? Through the Holy Spirit, God's sitting there going, I'm never going to give you a challenge that you coupled with the Holy Spirit because you believe in me. You've called me your, uh, you know, you called me Father. You've called me Savior. I put my Holy Spirit in with you. Now you coupled together, you can resist everything that comes in life. It will be difficult, but you can. So the fact that you failed on that thing wasn't because there wasn't an escape there. It's just the fact that you didn't take the escape. Right? I mean, we should be, you know, Father God, I'm going to confess that I am going to stop blaming other people. I'm going to stop lying to myself and others. I'm going to stop sweeping it under the carpet. I'm going to confess my sin to you. My sin is my sin, and it's called rebellion. It's called hard-heartedness. You know, it's one thing to, to read about David's failure. It's another thing to repeat the same exact thing. What an idiot we are sometimes, right? We sit there and read it in the Bible. We're sitting there going, man, I can't believe David did that. And then we go out and we do the same exact sin. I can't believe Peter did that. Oh, come on, what a guy. I mean, come on, Peter. And then we go out and we do the same exact thing. This is a cycle of human behavior. To say that I'm truly sorry and I truly you know, repent and the blood of Jesus Christ covers my sin and you forgive me as if I didn't sin. You absolve the guilt that I have in my life and you promise me life in heaven and a pretty decent life down here on earth. Lord, I know that there might be some consequences to that sin. I cut my arm off on the last sin and I don't expect it to come back. But in your mercy, Lord, will you allow it to come back? And the amazing thing about our Father is what? He allows it to come back. Is he a good father or what? Man, how many fathers or grandfathers do we have in a room? Okay, I dare say great-grandfather. Okay, no, we, we'll leave that alone. When your son or daughter, especially when they were young, now as they get older, not so much, but when they were young, and they've done something wrong. And they know they've done something wrong. And they truly feel sorry about that. I mean, truly sorry. How many minutes or hours or days, depending on their age, do you wait to say, okay, son, let me, let me fix this. We're, we're a team together. Let me help you out. You know, once they're, once they're sorry, we're all over it. Man, our Heavenly Father is a better dad than you. Think about the greatest moment that you were a father. The greatest thing you've ever done for your kid. Our Heavenly Father is better than that. That is an amazing thing. Our problem is we can't get over what our vision of fathers are you know, down here on this earth. Because we see messed up fathers, don't we? How many of us have messed up as a father? Yeah, okay. We, raise, we all raise our hands, right? Because we're not perfect. But man, don't put that view of, of being a father on God because God is a perfect father. When we're sorry, he is there in a nanosecond. But if you do not repent, guess what? He'll still discipline you because he loves you. If you don't repent, he is not going to reward you. But once you really say, I'm sorry, and you know it, and he knows it, man, he is faithful for what? 
to forgive you and to give you another chance or third, fourth, or fifth chance. So when they get together in Nehemiah's day, they say, God, we've read the scriptures and we get it. And we love that you are a faithful God. You've proven that through generation and through, through generation because we are an unfaithful group. You know, there was a time when God got you know, sick and disgusted with Israel's sin. That he allowed the Assyrians to come in. Literally to decimate the, the, you know, most of the Israelites. The, the, they're split up in the 12 different tribes. And you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, and the southern kingdom was a little more uh, faithful to God for a little while longer, but not too much. So, so the Assyrians allowed, or God allowed the Assyrians to come in and wipe out the 10 northern kingdoms, uh, 10 northern tribes. And there's only two left in Israel. You, you might have heard of the ten lost tribes. This is where they get lost. It's very difficult for, for a Jew today to trace back their lineage of one of those tribes just for that reason. Then he gave the southern tribes years and years to watch and to learn from that. Guess what they did? They did the exact same thing. So he brings the Babylonians down, and this is where we get Daniel and you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all these guys you know, who took the cream of the crop back to, to Babylon. And 70 years they were there until the next generation said what? God, we get it. It was as if God had said, you love the heathen so much, you love their sins so much, you want to be just like them, therefore I'm going to let you be just like them. I'm going to let them take you. You love their idols? Go worship their idols. You want to sacrifice your children for them? Go do that. Until somebody in your group finally wakes up and says, enough is enough. We're blowing it here. What happened? And then they start to repent. So we see this in Nehemiah 9 where, where we can see this where they're at in their cycle. They're, they're repenting. And they're about to be blessed by God. So look at, you know, look around verse 32 if you have the, uh, the, the Bible there. They say, we know our fathers blew it. The Assyrians took the land, now the Persians. We don't deserve it. But God, give us the land back. How presumptuous is that, right? God, we're sorry. Can we have our stuff back now? I know I did wrong, but can I, can I have that thing I really like? With it? Can I, I, I want that back. The Persian king, we don't want him over us anymore. We don't like him being in charge. Just in case you want to bless us again, here is our wish list. We want to be a great nation. And our stuff back. We will try to do our part. We will learn from our mistakes, or the mistakes of our past. And next week, we're going to cover this covenant that they make with God. And, you know, it has everything to do with obedience. And they sign it. Not that their signature is going to keep them from doing anything. How many of you have said, okay, I'm going to lose weight. And then, like, within a week, you're going back to other eating habits. See, sometimes our signature or our commitments don't mean much. But Nehemiah 9, their heart is in the right place. So where is your heart this morning? There is an amazing prayer. You know, what, what, if, what if Israel did this today? 
What if we were to, to do this today? How would, you know, how would, how would our relationship with God change? See, we have to make a decision in our life. In 2 Corinthians seven fourteen, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land? If my people, who are the people that are called by his name? What's his name? Well, one of them is Jesus Christ. That's one of his names. So if my people, well, who are his people? That'd be us. Well, humble everyone around them? No. Well, you know, put something on a poster and show up at a march to, you know, scream at other people? No. If my people who are called by name by my name will humble themselves. And we often feel like this, you know, since I'm already completely humble, I think this is for you, for other people, right? That's how often we, we kind of take this. Don't we feel that way sometimes? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. But Lord, this is beginning to be a long list here. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. See, this is why we don't have to feel hopeless. Because he can and will do it. We have to take some action steps along the way, don't we? We have to be willing to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to seek him. We have to be willing to call God if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, and I would even add in wicked desires, then he will hear us and he will forgive our sin. Do you need forgiveness today? Because he is ready and willing to forgive you. All you have to do is reach out and ask for that forgiveness. That's the faithfulness of God. And then he turns around and blesses you, even though you don't even deserve it. That's an awesome father. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for being a great father. I thank you for being right there when when I mess up, but if I turn to you, you're there. You're quick to forgive. You're quick to hold us in your arms, no matter what sin that we've had in our life, because you love us so much. Lord, I pray for those being baptized today that you just start them on a journey. They've already accepted you. But you start them on a journey of following you, of making wise and good decisions, of learning from others' mistakes, that they will have a better life than those that came before them if they obey you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you in this world that is so evil May his light shine down upon you and reflect 
into this world. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.